0: Amen. We have a precious Lord this morning. Amen. This morning, um, I ask that you were please turn me in your Bibles to our opening text in Matthew chapter twenty, verse twenty-five. Matthew chapter twenty, verse twenty-five is our opening text. <coughs> The sermon entitled this morning is, There Can Only Be One. There Can Only Be One. (laughs) On this handout, we're actually going through an intense Bible study this morning in our study. But on this handout is Wiley's definition of what Protestant is, a protest, what the protest was about. There's two areas. Number one, the Protestant churches protested, number one, against the abuse of the government over the people, and that they believed that the um, conscience was more powerful than the government, right, the civil government. The second abuse was this, and the first quote talks about that, is that the abuse of the church over the people, and the hierarchy over the people, And this was, they said that the word of God and the persons studying up the word of God was higher than the authority of the church. Are you following me? So that was a Protestant thing. But throughout history, the churches have always risen up and said that actually the word of God is higher than the authority of the government. They've always believed that. But you rarely find churches who teach and preach that, The word of God is higher than authority of the church, beloved. Now, why is that so? That's because every single church out there enjoys the privilege and abuse that they have and the authority that they have over their people and are not willing to give it up. Every church that began in history began because they saw the abuse of the mother church over themselves. They didn't like the abuse, the authority, or power, and thus they broke away from that, and they started another church. And that's why they started a church, because they didn't like the abuse. But after a while, that very same church that broke away from the mother church, was used as authority and abuse over that group of people that went away, the very same church that broke away, sooner or later followed the same pattern as their mother and exercised the same abuse of authority and power over the very same people that they, they, they didn't like. Throughout history, if you study the history books, it always started that way. The process of Reformation began on that way. Every single church, after time, went back to the same old system of abusing the authority and power over the people. So this morning, as we study the authority of the church from the word of God, may the Holy Spirit help us to see, every single one of us here this morning, how wretched, how miserable, how poor, blind, and naked every single one of us here this morning is, including myself, and how wretched His church is this morning. Let us pray. Father, we humbly ask for Your Spirit to teach us, to show us, which you want us to learn. In Jesus' name. Amen. What did Jesus say? How the world was to run things out there, their work, their business, and everything, and how the government was supposed to run. Notice the Bible says in Acts chapter, I mean Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus is speaking in red letters. Jesus called them unto him, called them unto him and said, He said, You know that the princes or the leaders, the original Greek is leaders of the Gentiles or the world. The leaders within the world, they exercise dominion or they use their position, whatever may be in a business, they people who work for them, they have their livelihood is based upon them listening to the boss, so they use their force for people to be subject unto them. Right? That's how it works in the business business world, right? And out in the world. They exercise dominion over them or people have to be subject to them. And they are and they that are great who are leaders they exercise authority upon them. So they use their authority. Now the definition of the word authority in in the dictionary is the right to command and enforce obedience because of one's office, station, or relation. So because of their position that they have, they have the right to exercise the power to command and also to enforce obedience. That is the position that's given them that is what the, the world is supposed to do, and that's how they run things in the world. Is that not true, right? Do you not see that in the world? Happens a lot, right? And even maybe in your own workplaces, that's how things work, and you work for the government, that's how things work. That's just how Jesus said, that's just how it is. But what did Jesus say to the leaders of the early church and how they should actually run their church? And notice what it says here in verse 25 and 26 Jesus said you know the princes of the world they exercise dominion over them and they are they that are great exercise authority and force obedience upon them but notice what he said in verse 26 but it shall not be so what among you, among you. So whatever I said, previous verse 25, whatever I said, is totally, completely opposite to how things should be done in God's church. Are you following me? That's what he said. That's how it works out in the world, and that's how it's going to work, and that's how it works. But according to you, it shall not be so among you, Jesus said. This is very words, red letter words from the Bible. Now when the authority is, to the right to command and enforce obedience, and Christ is positively forbidding Christians any exercise of authority, then Christ forbids all Christians the right to command and enforce obedience upon any other person, beloved. Amen? Do you see that? Out in the world, yes, they can command and enforce obedience. That's just how it works. But Jesus said, It shall not be so among you, therefore... Among Christians, among each other, it is not so among you. You have no right to exercise authority and dominion and to force and to right to command obedience. You see, the papacy is the ultimate creation of authority and dominion of man over man. Did you know that? The whole hierarchy system is based upon that. And the question this morning is this, is Christianity of God or is it of the papacy? Is Christianity of the word through the spirit or is it based upon the tradition and commands of men this morning? Now, what is the reason why Jesus said it should not be so among you? Why is it? Why did he tell them to do that? Look at verse 26. Let's continue on. It says here, it shall not be so among you. But, but negates everything that was said before. But, it shall be not so among you. Why he, why did he say it? Listen to this. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your, what? Minister. Servant. Your Bible, certain Bible says servant. Minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your, what? Servant. Even, why? even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto or to be, um, to be people have come to be a servant to Him, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many, many. In other words, Jesus Christ, who had the highest position in the whole universe, think about this, demands the right for us to serve Him because we are His servants, right? Doesn't He demand the right? But yet The one with the highest position comes to the world which looks at those who have the highest position that they need to be served. He comes with the highest position to a world not expecting for everyone who is servants to him to be served by servants, but the highest position who is the master kneels down and serves us, his servants, beloved. You see that, amen? Can you comprehend such a thing? Can the world comprehend such a thing? They cannot. All they can see is, I'm the CEO, things are done this way, you listen to me, I enforce obedience, you're out of here, you're fired, right? That's just the, I'm the governor, I'm the president, you do what I say, Now only you're fired, but, you know, sometimes things can happen, right? <laughs> the power to enforce obedience. But the highest position in the universe comes down here, and he's not expecting service from his servants. He serves the servants under him. Can you imagine that? I know we can't understand it. That's why we don't get it, and I don't get it. Look at this quote here. The second quote, it says, this is the highlights. It says, rebellion was not to be overcome by force. Compelling power is found only under Satan's government. Are you following me? The Lord's principles are not of this order. His authority... This is power. This is why it's so different. Jesus is different from the world. His authority rests upon goodness, beloved, this one. Amen? Amen. Mercy Amen. and love Amen. and the presentation of these principles is the means to be used. Amen? Look at the next quote. It says, this, say, Jesus tried to overcome Satan. He said, this could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love. And love cannot be commanded. It cannot be worn by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love in this money. Amen? To know God, because God is love. God is a servant. God is not using His power and authority to command and enforce obedience upon us. Why should we do it upon others? Now, what has Christ called us to? Look at Galatians. We're going to go to a few texts here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. And this morning, why don't we let... I'm not the preacher or teacher this morning, but let's let the Bible be the teacher this morning. Amen? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. What do we call? Notice the Bible says here. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. We're free. Only use not your liberty for occasion to the flesh to make excuse and go into sin, but by love we are to what? Serve one another. And those who serve are called what? Servants. In other words, every single one of us here is called a servant. Amen? Doesn't matter what position we have in a church, we'll all be given the calling to a servant. And this service is freely chosen, freely given this morning from a heart full of liberty and love which is given to us by God. Now, turn to another text in Matthew chapter 23, our opening text. Matthew chapter 23, verse 8. And we're going to go to 12. This is a scripture reading. What did Jesus say concerning his church and its leadership? Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master. How many masters are there in God's church? One. Only one. And what's his name? It says, Even Christ. So there's only one master in God's church, and that, his name is Jesus Christ. And all the rest of you servants, you are also, you are all one. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 10, neither be ye called master, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest of you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted this morning. In other words, what the Bible is saying here is that all of us, except for Christ, Christ is our older brother, but all of us here are brothers and sisters, referring to the, the, the definition that we are all equal in the sight of God. Amen? We're all servants here this morning. We're all, in the sight of God, equal in the eyes of God this morning. Now, I invite you to turn me to Proverbs as we look at this topic here of servants. Now, Proverbs 30, verse 21 and 22. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21 and 22. What is... Now, listen to what the Bible says. It's talking about here, three things are... um, that agitates the earth and four things it cannot bear. What is the first thing that's listed as a thing here this morning that disquieted the earth and the four things it cannot, it cannot bear. Look at verse 21. It says, for three things the earth it disquieted or it agitates the earth and for four which it cannot bear. It cannot endure four things. But what is the first thing it says? It says here, for a servant when he what? becomes a ruler. The very first thing that the earth is agitated with, it cannot bear, is when a servant takes the position of a ruler over another servant, when he is still only a servant, beloved. Amen? Amen. And the history of the church, from in back in the olden days to this day, reveals the divine truth of this horrible truth in detail that whenever a fellow church member who is only a servant, no matter what position he may be given, an elder, a pastor or whatever, president whatever position to be given, still only a servant, usurps the authority of the one and only master Jesus Christ and usurps it and becomes the master over other servants within God's remnant church, amen? It is not one more thing more agitating to the earth the Bible says. One thing the earth cannot endure and has not endured throughout history. Christians have been murdered. By the authority of the church. Close to a hundred million people. In the name of God, in the name of authority of the church. Are you following me, beloved? Whatever form, maybe be murder, or maybe just. Control or force. No physical harm done. It is still not right in the eyes of God. Amen? Amen. And this same spirit, which is the exercise of authority of one servant over another, is the spirit of Satan and not of Christ this morning. Amen? Amen. And that is why, of the Honecah Church, the elders, the church board, and the pastor... And I'm talking about the pastor this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Who are only servants this morning, beloved. Amen. Amen? Are not to use the positions to command obedience over fellow servants called church members. Amen? Amen. You know, God, I believe, has a good sense of humor, right? Amen? Because mess- as we prepare for messages, God comes and he takes His message that sounds so good and so bad. Beautiful and so powerful. And he takes the truth and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Kiala. <laughs> this message is for you. Are you following me? This message is for you. Yes, for the body, but this message has to be taken and absorbed and convicting of you and it, this is for you. You have to transform, you have to change your life. This is where you have to grow. And when you feel you're growing in this area, then you know, then you have the... Uh, in a sense, not the authority, but the right to present the message to my people, right? Amen? Your abuse of authority. Your abuse of, of position. It's a powerful thought to, it's deeply humbling experience to prepare for a sermon, and the whole time the, the word of God is convicting your, your conscience and your thoughts and your feelings, isn't it? That's, that's a heavy thought. It's a humbling position to come and to be inspired by a church and church members. And you know, many of you inspire me, actually, believe it or not. Many have inspired me tremendously. Um, just to hear how God's been using you in the ministry he's calling you to and how God's using you. And you know, I realized, I came to a realization that when the, when the Bible text is talking about it should not be so among you, it was talking about me this morning. And so I came to a realization that God's church needs to be run a different way. Amen? Amen. Not the traditional way that we're so used to, but I realize that, you know, if Pastor Keala would only get out of the way of Jesus, the true master, God already blessed the Honokah Church. Amen? Amen. And with that conclusion, I realize that I must personally apologize to this church and to every single one of you and to say that I am sorry for... Usurping the authority of the one and only Master Jesus Christ this morning. I realize that he's the only one who has the power and authority to do any such a thing this morning. Amen? There's also another thing I want to share. I realize that we cannot command obedience over our fellow servants. And in the same way, as I continue, the church members, the church board, and the elders, who are only servants also, are not to demand and dictate to the pastor as to what he should or should not do also, amen, or complain, amen, amen. Amen. Turn me to Romans chapter fourteen verse four. Romans chapter fourteen verse four. It's funny, is if only we would all actually worry about our own garden, our garden would be without weeds. If only we worry about our own homes, our homes would be in order, and we all get together and everything would be good. But instead, we're, human nature is our homes are a wreck and mess and everything's not going good and we like to worry about everyone else's problems inside everyone else's lives. Isn't that true? Romans chapter 14 verse 4. What does the Bible say about judging another man's servant? The Bible says here, who art thou that judges another man's servant? Who are you to judge? To his own master, he stands or falls, the master Jesus Christ. You cannot judge a fellow servant in a church. He's going to stand for his master. He'll be holding up. For God's able to make him stand. He's able to stand or fall. He's gonna stand in the judgment on his own. Who are we to judge one another's servants? And we should leave all accountability, beloved, to our own master, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I know there are open sins we're called in the Bible and the spirit prophecy that as leaders we need to address within the church to protect the flock of God. We're called to do that. We're called to reprove, to exhort, to encourage, right? And we do that through preaching and teaching and counseling. But in the honors of authority and enforcing obedience, compelling the conscience, using anger to get our way, is not of God this morning. You know, over the past 10 years of ministry, I realized this one thing. There are things actually that I thought was right at one time, I now consider to be wrong. Isn't that interesting? And what I thought was wrong at one time, I now believe and convicted that it's actually right to do. So at one point in my life, here we are pressing our convictions on how things should be done and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And then five years later, I realized, oh, that person was right and I was wrong, right? Here I'm pressing my convictions upon this person. Actually, I, this something that's happened, came to my mind recently that this whole big incident I just had recently um, about seven years ago with somebody or eight years ago, not from this church, was a big issue and I realized, wow, I was wrong. (laughs) And the person was right. That person was right. I was deceived by the children of another family to believe that their family was lying, but I realized that they weren't lying. They were just being transparent and the person was being hypocrite. They are pretending to be good. So I kicked this person out and I These people are pretending to be good kids. I just say, oh, they're good kids. But they're the ones that are being hypocrites and pretending to be good on the outside. But on the inside, they weren't. They're pretending behind my back. So with all this in place, it is very dangerous to press our own convictions upon another fellow servant. Because in the end, we may find out that what was once our strongest convictions was wrong all along. Could that not be possible, beloved? And so to press a conviction upon someone else, it can be very dangerous because you can actually you can hurt a soul, and they can actually leave Christ because of our our so-called witness this morning. Now, what is Jesus Christ to the church? Turn to Colossians chapter one verse eighteen. Colossians chapter one verse eighteen. Listen to this. It says here. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So in other words, who is the head of the body or the church? Who is it? Jesus Christ. Now, where is the seat of authority and intelligence and decisions made? Is it normally made in the members or your your arm or your leg or the whole body collectively? Or is it made in the head, beloved? In the head. It is in the head which is Christ and not in the body which is the church where all authority, intelligence and decisions are truly made, beloved. Amen? Therefore it is the head only and never the body who can command and enforce obedience for no Christian has the authority to command or to legislate for anybody else. But there's only one true commander from God in matters of religion and faith, and His name is the mighty God, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the sole sovereign of the church. His name is Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? Amen. Therefore, hear ye Him, and if you do, you never want to listen to any other voice or any other word than Him this morning. I want to look at that quote here, um, the next quote. If you can look at the next page. Listen to this about when we want to use force, look at the reaction of force. The top left, on the inside left page, the top one, it says, wherever, wherever the power of intellect, or you have a strong intellect, a strong will of authority, or enforced obedience, or a force is employed. Whenever you use these things, and love is not manifestly present, the affections and will of those whom we seek to reach assume a what? Defensive. Is that not true? repelling position, and the strength of resistance is increased. The more you try and use force and authority, and they may submit on the outside, but in their heart, they are rebellious as ever. Amen? And not only as ever, but more than ever in their heart. The resistance increases. They become more defensive. Jesus was, listen to this, Jesus was the prince of peace. He came into the world to bring resistance and authority into subjection to himself. Yes, he wants people who are resistant to him to be under him, to be subject to him. Jesus wants that. But notice the method he uses. There's nothing wrong with people to be submitted unto Christ. But notice the method. Wisdom, his mind, his wisdom, his strong will and strength His power, he could have destroyed people like that. He could command, but the means or the way he employed with which to overcome evil was the wisdom and strength of what? Love. Love. Amen? Amen? Love is powerful this morning. Do you see that, beloved? Love is powerful. Love alone. Maybe we haven't experienced God's love, that's why we don't see the power. But love is powerful. Where force and control and manipulation and withdrawing of affections and getting angry at someone is not powerful at all. You create your own more resistance within the heart of that person. In what errors is the church subject to Christ? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, two books before. What errors is the church subject to Christ? Know what the Bible says here. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in how many things? Everything. So the Bible is making parallel here. Husbands, wives are to submit to the husbands in everything. In the same way, the Bible says, the church is to subject itself to to Christ in how many ways? In everything, in all things subject. Therefore, the church in all things is subject, not ruler this morning. Amen? It is hers to obey, not to command. She is to obey Christ, not to command men. And that is why that anything that is claiming to be the church is positively forbidden to exercise authority this morning. Amen? For the satanic reign and authority of the church is denounced by inspiration to be the mystery of iniquity. Now, there are many reasons why young people are leaving the church. But I want us to look at one area where they are, why they were leaving. Look at the next quote here on your green paper on the inside left. There's a balance in everything. Notice what it says here. Too much management is as bad as what? Too little. There's a balance. I mean the parents that say, oh, do whatever you want and you, you're going to learn your own consequences. You know, children don't know consequences, right? Do they? they? They're not thinking, oh, 50 years down the line I'm smoking a cigarette, right, and I'm going to be getting cancer, lung cancer. They're not thinking that. So you have to do training and discipline for them, right? Immediate consequences. Too little is not good. But notice that too much management is as bad as too little. Is that true? Could be too much management over our children and our fellow servants be too bad? Be bad also? The effort to break the will of a child is a terrible mistake. Minds are constituting differently. While force may secure outward submission, the result in many children is a more determined rebellion of the heart. Is that not True. Even should a parent or teacher succeed in gaining the control he seeks, the, may be no less, the outcome may be no less harmful to the child. The discipline of a human being who has reached the use of intelligence should differ from the training of a dumb animal. For the beast, the master is mine when you train animals. Judgment and will, this method sometimes employed in the training of children makes them little more than automations. Mind, will, conscience are under the control of another. It is not God's purpose that any mind should be thus dominated. Those who weaken or destroy individuality, which is power to think and to do, assume a, assume a responsibility that can result only in evil. While under authority, the children may appear like well-drilled soldiers. You ever seen families like that? You've seen these children that... They're so well-behaved, they look so tight, orderly organized, marching to church and single file. Perfectly, perfectly, right? well drilled soldiers. But when the control ceases, and I've seen this when I went to Adventist colleges, when the control ceases of their parents and they go away, away from their parents, listen to this, the character will be found to lack strength and steadfastness. Having never learned to govern themselves, the youth recognizes no restraint except the requirements of parents or teacher. This removed, he knows not how to use his liberty and often gives himself up to indulgence that proves his ruin. Is that not true? Just came back from a meeting from Oahu. And this is the latest statistics. You know, a lot of our young people are leaving the church. And I believe a lot because the parents let them do whatever they want. But a lot is also the parents... They're controlling too much. Forty percent of our young people in this church are leaving the church by the age of 24. And the more time goes on, the more higher the percentage comes, higher and higher and higher and higher. Now that's a lot for this 24 years old already. What was prophesied to arise among the early church? Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And as Paul is speaking to a group of people, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. Well, verse 17, Paul is talking to them from Miletus. He sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. So Paul calls the elders of the church. He's speaking to the elders. And then look at verse 29 and 30. Notice what the Bible says here. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves, among the elders, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. You see, it was among the elders of the church. Another word for elders in the Greek is bishops. Each church had the elders, and among the elders rose the Catholic church, beloved. They set among themselves a the head elder, head bishop. And among the head bishop, each one, they were fighting for power. And then out the head bishop, Rome took preeminence. And then the pope began reign over his church. Are you following me? Among yourselves and draw people out of yourselves so that you can be a leader within this new humanly organized church. And the elders ran the church that way. Look at the quotations here from Cyprian. I want you to read this. On the the inside right, it says the church, this is what they are thinking. They said the church is founded upon the bishops, the elders, and every act of the church is controlled by these same rulers. Are you following me? The hierarchy system of control. The next quote, it says, Whence you ought to know that the bishop is in the church and the church is in the bishop. And if any man be not with the bishop, he is not in the church. Are you following me? And we learned before that God's church is universal, right? Is not this determined upon a certain people in a church who is written on the, the names on a, on, a, on a pen and paper on top of a book on this earth, right? God's church is universal. And so they say, who is not with us, who don't believe with us, agree with us, is not in God's church, but is that true, beloved? And if the bishop in the hierarchical system, hierarchical system was to disappear, would God's church disappear this morning? Will God's church even disappear even in our own church this morning below? Next quote. Neither have, listen is it heresies arisen, nor schisms originated from any other source than this, that God's priest has not obeyed, whom in according to divine teaching the whole fraternity should obey. No one would stir up anything against the call of the priest. No one would rend the church by division of the unity of Christ. In other words, there's only people called heretics, and they create independent ministries, or whatever, and they don't agree with the church leadership. Are you following me? But before you point the finger, what about our church this morning? There is a man named Lothbro who wrote a book. When we first saw it. one of the people who began this movement, the Seventh Avenue's movement, Jane LaFleur. He Wrote a book called The Church's Organization, Order, and Discipline. How the church was to be organized. Notice what he wrote. And he said this. The five steps to apostasy. This is what he said. He said, forming a creed is the first step. Any statement of beliefs that we believe in, not found in the word of God. Any human created document. Expressing their faith in man-made phrases instead of adhering to the word of the Lord. That's the first step. Second step. Making that man-made creed a test of fellowship. Not the word of God, but the man-made creed. And denouncing all his heretics who not assent to the exact wording of the creeds. Are you following me? The third one. Making the creed a rule by which all heretics must be tried. Many were thus declared sinners whose faith was more in harmony with the direct statements of the Bible than that of those who de- decreed against them. Number four constituting themselves a tribunal for the trial of heretics and excluding from their fellowship all who would not assent to their creeds, not content to debar such from church privileges in this world, they declared them subjects for the lake of fire. They said, you get out of this church and you're going to go to hell. That's what they basically say. Because you don't, you're not that you don't believe in the Bible, but you don't believe in our beliefs that we've written down on paper. The fifth one is, this is our own, people who started our church, beloved. Five. Having thus kindled a hatred in their own hearts against all who did not conform to their creeds, they next invoked and obtained the aid of the civil power to torture and kill with sword, with hunger, with flame, and with beasts of the earth those whom they have declared unfit to remain in the world. That's how religious intoleration, religious persecution always begins in our church. And then... I want you to read this next quote. I want you to know where we're at. George Knight, who's a foremost professor on church history, he wrote this statement, very shocking. We have 28 fundamental beliefs, right? That's what he wrote. He said, most of the founders of Seventh-day Adventism today would not be able to join the church today if they had to subscribe to the denomination's fundamental beliefs. Are you following me, beloved? This is his very own words. See, the point of my sermon this morning is not so much to determine as to who is right and wrong whether our people who began a movement or us are right or whatever. But I want you to see this this morning, and this is it, that our fundamental beliefs are different from what it used to be. Are you following me? That our church manual has been modified thousands of times. That our doctrinal beliefs from the Biblical Research Institute have changed, beloved, this morning. Are you following me? And my Bible tells me in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, and God says, For I am the Lord, I change not this morning. Amen? And for this very reason, that we should not put our trust in the writings of man, but instead we should put our trust only in the word of God this morning. Amen? For cursed be the man that trusted in man, but blessed the man that trusted in the Lord this morning. Amen? That's what Ellen White says about creeds, by the way. The last quote. She says, the Bible, and the Bible what? With the spirit prophecy. The Bible and the Bible alone is to be our what? Green, green. Creed. Don't get me wrong, I believe in the spirit prophecy. But she points to the Bible, and the Bible only for, as the only creed within our beloved movement, beloved. Are you following me? I cringe when I hear church members say, well, the church manual says so and so. Well, the Bible says so and so. What well, the church manual says so and so, that's the right way to do it. I cringe when I hear that. I cringe when I see here, or oh, the fundamental belief says so and so, or oh, our, 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 our Biblical Research Institute said this. Beloved, whatever happened to thus say the Lord and what the Bible says so? Beloved, this one, amen. amen. The Bible endorses religious liberty. The Bible endorses the freedom of religion. Religious liberty is Christian. Religious liberty is Protestantism. Religious liberty is American this morning. And this religious liberty forever opposes the abuse of one person, a servant, over another servant. And we can thank God this morning for the liberty that He gives us in Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? You know, It's funny in relationships, we think that we can control another person by getting upset at them, manipulating them. It's sad to hear people say, you know, I don't want to do this. Why do you want to do this? Because if I do this, I don't want to get my husband upset. I don't want to do this because I don't want to get my wife upset. I don't want to do this because I don't want to get another church member upset. It's sad to hear this, that the motivation for certain so is fear. But you know what? God calls us, you no know, fear is slavery, by the way, beloved. You're fearing what a person is going to do. Your action is based upon you fearing how that person react, rather than love and want to do it because you love that person. Amen? Yeah. Or you love God. Or we fear God. Love is the only motivation. And I think about my past relationships before I got married. My relationship with all my relations in the past was based upon fear. People got upset at me, my girlfriend got upset at me, and I'll do stuff, so I wouldn't get her mad. She'll do stuff, you know. I'll do things for her, because I don't want to get her mad. And I came to realization: you know, I don't want to get into a marriage, where we end up in divorce, or not in divorce, but still be in a marriage, but yet, we're not really happy. Are you following me? We're both slaves. But Jesus Christ said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free this morning. Amen? Freedom from the expectations of others. Freedom from what they expect out of you. Freedom from the fear of motivated. Freedom from the strong willpower, whatever it may be. Freedom. That's what Jesus wants for us to be this morning. Amen? He wants us to be free this morning. And I remember, you know, when I first started with my marriage, with my wife, I realized this is not what I want. And still the past the human heart is still wretched and miserable, I still had the same tendencies to go back that direction to want to control You know what I'm saying? And arguments would happen. But you know, I praise God that if your foundation of your marriage and your relationships is freedom, you'll be free indeed. Amen? And it will only get better. You want to be in a relationship where you're giving, you're serving. Another person's giving and serving is building upon service rather than selfishness what you can get out of it. So this morning, the appeal the song is entitled Freedom This Morning. Because we now need to be free from the government and free from sin, but we need to be free from the fear and the control of other people this morning.